All right, I'm just going to pray again because I need the Lord's blessings for this. So, um, Dear Lord, I pray for this time. Um, I pray that you would use uh, the words that are spoken here tonight um, to really touch our hearts. I pray that we would be able to see um, you in your word, Lord, to see your purpose, um, to see our place in your kingdom, Lord, and uh, be able to honor you with our actions, that we would be able to walk away from here tonight with some application, be able to apply to our lives, Lord, and that we would be able be more impressed with who you are as our Savior and as our Lord. In your name, amen. All right. About 500 years ago, on October 31st, 1517, a small-town German monk would march up to the castle church in Wittenberg and nail his 95 theses to the door. These 95 theses were propositions for debate and basically contained two central beliefs. First, they had the belief that the Bible was the ultimate religious authority. Second, they had the belief that humans could only reach salvation by faith and not by works. This action that he did of defiance sparked the fire that would become known as the Protestant Reformation. Maybe you guys have heard of this guy. His name is Martin Luther, and his actions paved the way for much-needed change and allowed people to follow his action of righteous pursuit, um, seeking to live in faith and seeking to put the Bible as the central religious authority. In our particular passage today, Peter recalls the suffering that Christ experienced and his actions whose ultimately, and whose ultimate death paved the way for, our, for us to set our minds on the will of God. To do a little bit of recap, Peter recalls um, that he's writing to the church, um, to church communities, and uh, all these church communities were in Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey, and uh, these Christians were receiving persecution from their Greek and Roman neighbors. And so he's writing to them in the midst of suffering. That's why I'm sure you've heard, as Keegan's been preaching the book of First Peter, much of this is about suffering. And so he's writing to encourage them in the midst of their suffering um, to turn to Christ and, uh, and to encourage them in their belief system. Uh, as they recall Christ's suffering, he also calls them to turn from their past of sin and instead focus on the will of God and pleasing him and serving his kingdom. So that's what I want our main point to be today. We'll come back to this main point several times. Um, but it's through Christ's suffering we can have power over sin, allowing us to love and serve one another as stewards of God's grace. I'll read that again. Through Christ's suffering we can have power over sin, allowing us to love and serve one another as stewards of God's grace. We'll break this down into uh, um, three kind of smaller points to help us as we work through the text here. The first main point will be that Christ's suffering, Christ's suffering provides a mindset of victory over sinful passions, all right, in verse 1 and 2, a mindset of victory over sinful passions. Point number two will be Christ's suffering, Christ's suffering provides strength to move from a life in the flesh to a life in the spirit. That's verses 3 through 6. And then Christ's suffering gives us grace to use his gifts for loving and serving one another. And that's verses 7 through 11. All right, so if you will, look down with me at verse 1. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So these first two verses are a little bit confusing about what exactly is being talked about here. Um, as I've studied it and read it, um, most theologians believe that it's either, talk, it either talking about Christ, it's talking about us, or it's talking about both. As I've studied it, what makes the most sense to me is that this is referring to Christ's action and our reaction 
to what he has done. All right, so Christ's action and, and our reaction to what he has done. This word that it starts with is since, since therefore, or I might just say therefore, um, has the idea that this phrase right here, everything else is done in this light of this in light of this phrase. All right, so the phrase is Christ suffered in the flesh. So everything else, all of our text today, is done in light of this first phrase. So what does it mean? What does it mean that Christ suffered? Since this is so important, what does it mean? Well, if you look back with me, chapter three of First Peter, looking at verse eighteen, says this: For Christ also suffered. Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring to us God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. All right, so this suffering that it's talking about, that Christ suffered, is his death. That's what it's referring to. And so when it says Christ suffered, it means that uh, he's suffering in his death, and that death gives us victory over sins. It says there, um, has ceased from sin. So as we, as we suffer with Christ, um, we can look to his, his suffering to find victory over our sins. If we embrace his suffering, then we can have victory. Um, he goes on to say, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So what's this idea of arming yourselves? Um, as he talks about this, this is, is a cool phrase that he's talking about here. Um, and it has the idea of a soldier going into battle. So as a soldier prepares to go into battle, um, he puts on his armor, he puts on his breastplate and his helmet, he gets his uh, sword and his shield, and he prepares himself to go into battle. Or in modern day, maybe you have Marines and they, uh, they put on their combat boots and they, they have their bulletproof vests on and they have their helmet on and they get ready to go into battle. So he wants to use this language here um, to help his readers understand they need to equip the death and suffering of Christ as central to their foundation um, of thought. So everything else in the rest of this passage all looks back to Christ's suffering and it's a frame of, uh, of thinking that he wants them to start with. So arm yourselves with this way of thinking that Christ's suffering... Um, gives us victory over sin. Everything else pours out of this frame of mind, all right? He continues in verse 2. He says, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. All right, so it's an identity shift right here, all right? We're no longer found in our nature of of human passions, but instead we're found in the will of God. Um, We're no longer held in captivity to these passions, but we're now in the will of God and the life in the Spirit, Romans 8 does an amazing job of talking about this. Romans 8, um, we'll do chapter, or verse 9 through, uh, verse 9 through 11. It talks about this here. Um, let's see. Romans 8, verse 9 says, you, who have, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. All right, so this idea that our our nature shifts from being under the will of human passions, under the will of flesh, to now being under the will of God. Friends, until you arm yourselves by putting your faith your trust, your mind, your thoughts in Christ and in his suffering, uh, you will be stuck in an endless cycle of sin, always resulting in death. This is always talked about throughout scripture and it's central that the wages of sin is death. And so this will be the case every single time. However, once you put your trust in his suffering, um, we no longer found in our mistakes or brokenness, 
uh, but we look to Christ, and his uh, death gives us victory over our sin and allows us to resist the sin and passions that we feel, the temptation that we feel. We now have power to resist it through his son. All right. So as we transition here, um, we've talk, been talking about how to resist sin, that we have the power to resist sin through Christ's suffering. So as we move here, what does that look like um, in the context of a world that is not trying to do this, that is not trying to resist sin? And so that's our second point here, is that Christ's suffering provides strength to move from a life in the flesh to a life in the spirit. Well, if, look with me at verse 3. It says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So he writes, writes this verse, writes this verse, excuse me, um, to, uh, um, to remind his readers, uh, which is a group of, of Gentiles um, who had a rough history um, of pagan practices. These were some of the common ones in the day that they would engage in. And so he's writing them in the midst of their past of, of these um, human passions that they would give into. He's writing to encourage them um, that that time is past, right? He says that time, uh, that is past, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. This is no longer your identity, right? Remember this identity shift that we're talking about. We looked at Christ's suffering instead of a past of, of, of sin. We are now looking to a future seeking the will of God in our lives. And Christ's Christ suffering provides strength um, as we seek to do that. Look down at verse 4. He continues, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. All right, so there's a surprising going on here. The world needs to be surprised at our distaste and our reaction to sin. I've worked at um, a number of jobs over the past many years, at construction jobs, at um, warehouse jobs, at grocery stores. Um, and one thing that is always um, common, no matter where it seems I work, is the language that people use. Um, whether we're out working on a house or in the back room in a grocery store, um, people always are using um, cuss words and swearing, and that's just part of their vocabulary. It seems like that's, that's always been the case, and... Uh, and I've chosen to try to avoid doing that in my life. It seems like um, this is most of the time not beneficial for the people around you. It's, um, it can be toxic, and, uh, and it's not helpful, and it's not needed. And so um, I was in, a, in the back room um, in Fred Meyer last year, and uh, we were working back there. And someone was ranting about something. I don't remember what they were talking about, but they were ranting about something. And, and uh, people were kind of getting riled up and giving their two cents to the situation. I was trying to give my two cents. And as you can imagine with it, kind of rant in the back room of Fred Meyer, uh, people get pretty animated and, and uh, they're just, you know, oh, this and that and, and, uh, and a lot of foul language coming out. And so I was trying to give my opinion in the situation and, um, but was trying to do so without swearing. And so um, as I was doing this, one of my friends um, who was working there pulled me aside and, and, uh, and he's like, hey, I noticed you're, uh, you're not swearing and I, I never really heard you swear. Is there a reason for that? And, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, I... That's, I've chosen not to, to seek to not to do that in my life. I don't see it as being beneficial. Um, I see it as being toxic, and, uh, and it's not necessary most of the time. Um, and so he was surprised at my reaction um, towards that particular um, sin. And so as I've, as I've seek to do that, um, I've noticed that that's a, that's a common trend, that people will be surprised at our reaction to sin. The world needs to be surprised at our distaste for sin. The world will not understand our standard, but it needs to be different than the world. The world should know that we are different. As Christians, we are called to live a different standard. Remember, identity is not found in the world, in human passions. 
It's found in the will of God. So we're going to have different lives. When the world, um, the, when our opinions don't line up with the world's, they're, uh, they're going to be surprised. When our language doesn't line up with theirs, they're going to be surprised. When our beliefs and values don't line up with them, um, when we explain that we aren't going to join in the drinking games, we're going to try not to uh, do drugs, we're going to um, try to avoid having sex before marriage, we're going to seek to, do, to live a different life, a different standard, um, they're going to be surprised when we're going to try to avoid looking at one another with lust in our hearts, they will be surprised. Um, we're trying to gossip behind people's backs. They will be surprised. Um, when our idea of sexuality and marriage is different in the world, they will be surprised. Um, even the, the simple idea of trying to be selfless with our actions, we live in a very individualistic culture where a lot of it is about self-love and putting yourself forward and, and trying to find what makes you the most happy. Um, and so when as Christians, when we seek to, to try to avoid doing this and instead put others before us, um, they're surprised at our, at our decision to do that. Um, my friends, let them be. It's okay for this to happen. In fact, it's necessary. Um, when people ask, why is your standard different? Why are you doing these things differently? Why is you know, your idea about this, why are your values and beliefs different? You have a, a chance to explain why, to explain that your, your standard is held in something different. It's not found in the world Instead, it's found in someone else. All right. Um, not only will the world be surprised at our reaction, our distaste for sin, um, but he continues in verse 4 by saying, and they malign you. All right. Another word for malign here is slander. So not only is there a, is there a surprising reaction from the world, but there's an aggressive um, action of, of conflict. They're, they're angry, right? There's slander that's happening here. They're going after us, and, uh, and that's okay as well. Um, this isn't a bad thing. As Christians, we are called to live lives different from the rest of the world. John 15, verse 18 and 19, uh, talks about this as well. Uh, Jesus is writing to his disciples here, uh, and he encourages them. He says in verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. All right, so again, we have this identity shift. We're not looking to our human passions, our past of, of, um, of sinful nature. We're not looking to the world to give us our standard. We're looking to Christ, to his suffering, to give us a standard different than that. We will receive attacks for our faith. However, I want to encourage you guys not to flee these attacks. All right? James 1, 2, right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Romans 5, 3, more than that, we rejoice in our suffering. So there's not only an attitude of, um, of withstanding it, but it's an attitude of, of rejoicing and joy. We need to count it at all joy when we meet trials, when we meet sufferings. When we experience these things, when we experience attacks from the world, we're supposed to count it as joy. We're supposed to react and look to Christ's suffering to provide strength in the midst of these things. Um, I want to encourage you guys that um, this doesn't mean that we are supposed to distance ourselves from the world. All right? This means that we are supposed to live differently in it. I'll say that again. We aren't supposed to distance ourselves from the world. In this action of, of trying to resist sin and live in a new standard... Um, 
We're called to live differently, but not distance ourselves from the world. So when you, you meet people of the world and, and, um, and they engage in these practices, it doesn't mean you just need to flee at, at all costs. Um, we're supposed to act differently. And you'll see that throughout Jesus' life. He doesn't run away from sinful people. He, in fact, have a, has a conversation with them. He engages with them. He forgives them. And so this is, this is to be our, our practice as well. We look to his example, right, um, to strengthen us. We look to his suffering, his life. Um, to provide the example for us. So as we meet trials, um, we need to count it as joy and, uh, and live differently, um, but not distance ourselves from the world. Peter ends this section with verse 6. Um, if you look down with me, verse 6 says, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. All right, so judgment is coming. Verse 5 talks about this as well, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Um, So judgment is coming, and uh, he wants to clarify here that death does not let us escape judgment. This was a a popular belief in the day, popular pagan belief, that once you died, you lost accountability. And so he's writing um, writing to them to encourage them that this is not the case with Christianity. Once we die, we are going to give an account to God who is judged, and we will, we will give an account before him. And so death doesn't, death doesn't, death doesn't um, uh, leave us of any accountability. We will give an account for our actions. So he clarifies here with his readers that this is not the case in the Christian faith. If you look down, um, he says, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judge in the flesh the way people are, they may live in the spirit the way God does. So people that have already died we're also preached the gospel. And this is why the gospel was preached that when we are held accountable, we can live in the spirit instead of living in the flesh. Again, this identity change, all right? Christ's suffering gives us strength, move to identity from, from an identity of human passions, um, of the will of the flesh over to will of the spirit. He says here at the end, they might live in the spirit the way God does, all right? Life in the spirit. So the gospel was preached that we can turn from sin, turn from our lives in, of flesh and live and lives of spirit, lives of the spirit. Daniel Dorani uh, points out that the goal of evangelism is to prepare humans for the day when they will stand before God and give an account to him as judge. All right, so this past section um, was about our attitude, our reaction to the world, to unbelievers, right? So we're supposed to flee um, the past of sins, that uh, the Phyllis, it's not uh, no longer our identity is not found in our past of sins. It wasn't found in their sin. He's right. The past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. This is no longer who we are. Now our identity is moved into identity um, seeking the will of God and life in the spirit. And this is done through Christ's suffering. So as we transition here, we'll move from a, a world of unbelievers and our reaction to that, looking to Christ's suffering. And we'll move to um, our attitude and actions towards believers or Christians. Um, so that's going to be our next uh, last point here. Christ's suffering gives us grace to use his gifts for loving and serving one another. If you look down with me at verse 7, it continues on. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. All right, so Christ will return. He says at the beginning, the end of all things is at hand. Quite, Christ will return. Um, and when he does, we need to be ready I had a friend um, up in Bellingham, and we would um, have times of prayer with one another, um, go for prayer walks and whatnot. And, and, um, and whenever we would end prayers, he always liked to end um, by just asking the Lord that uh, if he returns within our lifetime, if it be his will, 
um, that we would be doing something um, that brings glory to his name, that we wouldn't be caught doing something um, that honors the world, something of, of human passion, but that we would be caught uh, in deep prayer or, or worship or, or uh, looking at the Bible and reading through the Bible, trying to understand it. Um, so Christ will return, and when he does, we need to be ready. This idea was kind of um, important in my life, and as I've tried to, to, to realize that the Lord will return at any point, and so um, we want to be spending our, our days filled with eternally significant things, right? Not things that are going to pass away that don't matter, but, but things that will have eternally significant value. We look to Christ for the strength to do that. Um, to continue on here, um, we'll look at verse 8. He says in verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. All right, so these things that he lists here are in direct comparison with the previous section where he listed off all these things that the Gentiles practiced, um, right? We have sensuality, passions, drunkenness, and to contrast that, we have self-control and sober-mindedness. Instead of gauging in orgies and drinking parties, um, we're supposed to show hospitality without grumbling, Instead of being controlled by lawless idolatry, we're supposed to serve one another, being good stewards of God's grace. All right? All right? Shifting our identity, no longer in human passions, but serving the will of God. So these things are part of the will of God. Looking at um, this first verse here in verse 8, he talks about um, being sober-minded and, um, and, uh, and self-controlled. These are key aspects of prayer and they help to uh, strengthen our prayers as we go to the Lord. Right? We're going to the master and lord of this universe we need to be, um, have a calm mind, have clear thoughts as we go to him in prayer, and this will help our prayers. We can't be um, you know, on an emotional roller coaster all the time. We, um, he doesn't want them to be drunk. He wants them to be clear in their thoughts as they go to the Lord, um, seeking to honor the fact that we are speaking um, to the Lord of this universe. Um, so these, are, these are clear things that are talked about here, sober-mindedness and self-control. Um, I want to ask you guys, um, what does it mean for a ninth grader to show hospitality? A 10th grader, 11th grader, 12th grader. As you guys think about hospitality, what does that look like in your life? Um, not many of us have a house at this stage in life. And so um, maybe it looks like sharing uh, the things that you have. That's when I think of hospitality. I think of, of being hospitable with what God has given to us. All right. So the Lord has given us many things, and, uh, and we need to be generous with what he has given us. Not seeking to hold on and have a tight grip to the things that he's given us, but, but be generous, be hospitable with what he's given us. Um, I remember when I was in youth group, once you got your driver's license, suddenly you were the plug uh, for rides. And everyone was looking to you to take them places and, and drive to youth group or after parties or people's houses. And, uh, and so that was kind of the case when I, and so that's a good way that we can think about showing hospitality, right? Being generous with what the Lord has given us. If he's given you access to a car, um, and a license, then we can use it to serve one another, um, by driving people places. Verse 10 talks about, um, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. What are some of the gifts that you guys think God has given to you? Um, you can just think about it for a second. Um, God has given us all gifts, and so we can think about um, the things that we're good at, the things that maybe we um, tend to enjoy doing more, the things that we've been told by others are, are good gifts that we have given by the Lord. Um, maybe you're still figuring it out. I didn't know, really. I still don't really know. Um, 
what exactly those are. And so um, um, here are some example gifts that I think maybe you guys can think about. Um, being really patient and a good listener um, is a gift from God. And so as we use our patience to serve him, um, we can be there for people when they're going through tough times. We can sit and listen as they talk about their life, as they talk about the tough times that they're going through. Um, we can be a good listener for them and be an encouragement to them as they experience these things. Maybe you're really good with technology. And so using your gifts would look like um, you know, doing slides or, or trying to figure out um, ways to use um, that gift in, in church and, uh, and in youth group. Um, to use the fact that you're good at technology. Not everyone's good at that. And so, um, you know, you have a gift in that. So use it uh, to serve Christ. Maybe you're a really good singer or a good musician. So you're using your gifts would look like serving and getting up on stage and, uh, and worshiping. All right. Leading worship, using the talents and gifts that God has given you um, to serve him. There's lots of opportunity in the youth group um, to serve. But I want to encourage you guys that that is not the only place you can serve. As we look to use our gifts, um, we can look to the larger body of Christ. All right, I'm sure many of you go to church um, on Sunday morning. Maybe that's to hope. Maybe it's to a different place. Um, but that place needs serving as well. That place needs your gifts as well. And so we can look to use our gifts to serve the larger body of Christ in a number of ways. Not just for the youth, not just for the people that are easy to talk to, not just um, for what's comfortable for you, but expanding that out um, to the larger body of Christ and seeking to serve um, his whole body, seeking to serve um, on Sunday mornings and at events and, and, uh, and using the gifts that God has given us uh, to serve him. Um, if you look at verse 10, it says, as, as each has received a gift, it says, all right? So don't go saying they don't have any gifts, that God hasn't given you anything. He says each has received a gift. In fact, each has received probably many gifts, all right? So we look to, to Christ's suffering to give us the strength to use these gifts um, to serve him. And everyone has received a gift, so there's no excuses, all right? It's important that we also remember that these gifts that God has given to us are not ours, all right? These are gifts he's has, he has bestowed on us, but they're his gifts and so we need to use them to serve him. They're not our own to do with as we please. As Christians, we're called to use these gifts uh, for service to him. And so we need to find ways uh, to do that and to do that well. Peter ends this section uh, with a bit of a doxology in verse 11. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by strength that God provides. All right, some examples of service in the church. Um, and he says, in order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. All right, so this is a sort of a final praise that he does here. Um, I want you guys to note that he starts, um, Christ suffered in the flesh, and he ends um, that God is glorified, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. All right, so he starts and ends with Christ. That's been central throughout our passage today, right? We look to Christ's suffering and his suffering gives us a mindset shift for which we need to build everything else out of, all right? So as we look to unbelievers, as we look to believers, we all do it through looking to Christ's suffering to provide strength to do that, to his death and his resurrection um, to provide the strength to do that, all right? It allows us to move from a life in the flesh, a life of uh, human passions, to a life in the spirit. It allows us to give, it gives us strength to do that as we, as we seek to flee the, the world's um, desires and passions, and in doing that action, we surprise the world, all right? We surprise the world with our, our desire to do that, with our distaste for sin, when our standard doesn't line up with theirs. Um, the world is surprised. And so in doing that, as we move to a life in the spirit, 
um, then they will be surprised and they will and they will slander us as well, right? And we're supposed to count it as joy when we meet trials of various kinds. Um, to end, he gives us, uh, his grace gives us uh, the strength that we need to love and serve one another. That's this last section here that we were just reading. Christ's suffering gives us grace to use his gifts, right? His gifts, not ours, uh, for loving and serving one another. And all this is done for his glory, right? It ends with the doxology. Um, and everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So everything that, that we do, all through Christ's suffering, every, every desire that we have to move from sinful passions and, and pursue a life of righteousness, a life in the Spirit, um, under the will of God, is all done through Christ's suffering, and it's done for his glory. So it's done through him, and it's done for him. All right? hope you guys are able to um, take away something from that, be able to apply that to your lives, um, seeking to move um, our lives and transition our lives um, into lives that are completely obedient to the will of God, um, seeking to bring him glory um, at any cost necessary. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Lord, you have given us so much, so much to be grateful for, um, so much to praise you for. Um, so I thank you for that, Lord. Um, you have called us, you have chosen us um, to be citizens of your kingdom, Lord. I pray that we would desire to not live in human passions, um, but would desire to live um, serving you with our every action, Lord, living under your will, living a life in the spirit that gives us strength through Christ's suffering, that in everything that we would do, we would look to Christ's suffering, his death and resurrection on the cross, his example, his life here on this earth, Lord, um, that thou would give us strength as we seek to surprise the world, um, as we seek to count it as joy when we are attacked by the world, Lord, um, and as we seek to serve um, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Lord, give us strength for that. We thank you for all these things, uh, for blessing us with this time, for blessing us with your word, Lord. Um, in your holy name, amen.